Welcome to Loving the Christ Life. I'm Brad Wilson. Welcome to another edition of Loving the Christ Life. We're here each and every week bringing you the teachings and the messages from Warren Litzman regarding the Christ life, the in Christ message. Right now we are into the foundation studies and set number two, and we're going to pick up where we left off last time. This will be part number two of the deep root of the law. So interesting. Here's Warren. So we got contrast. Well, here we've got a creature, Adam, who is hearing from God every day. He's hearing what God has to say, but with his eyes, He's seeing this beautiful tree with such beautiful fruit on it. Now, a strange thing happened in the garden. In God creating Adam, he created him somehow in his thinking that he would be drawn to the illicit, to the evil, and to the negative. There was a thing in Adam that was drawn to that. Wouldn't you think that if a freshly created man that had never seen an R-rated movie, let alone X-rated, and never seen any pornography, would have been drawn to God? We're told that everywhere. If you stop doing these things, you'd be drawn to God. Wouldn't you think that a fellow who had never seen anything bad would just love God and know nothing but God? Of course not. That isn't the way God created him. He had to create him with this contrast within himself. I've always thought about Lucifer. Wouldn't you think that a fellow living in God's house would want to stay there? I mean, would want to live for God? Wouldn't you think that would change him if he had something wrong with him? Well, you know, I've always said that living in God's house didn't change Lucifer. He didn't catch on to God's love, and he didn't catch on to God's grace. He didn't know a thing about God. Tried to kick God out of his house, and God had to put him out. So my, my application of that is that you've been in the presence of God where God's doing great things isn't going to change anything. didn't change Lucifer, and it didn't change Adam. So what did God do in creation? What was there about Adam that was a fallacy to godliness and a weakness for evil? What was there in him? Well, I'm not for sure. I'll speculate. I'm out of the scriptures, except I can back it up with a lot of scriptures as you can any doctrine, and that doesn't mean anything. But I'll speculate by telling you that I believe the body made out of dirt had down motivation in it. That it just pulls you down. Why? It was never God's intention to save body. Bodies are never saved. We didn't get that gospel until Paul came along and we had Christ in us as the message. Because with Christ in us, then we weren't body people anymore. For 4,000 years, men were body people. They had to protect and take care of the body, and so the Lord gave them all kinds of promises. I'll heal you. I'm the Lord that heals you. I'll do this. I'll do that. That's because they were body creatures. They didn't take care of the body. They couldn't exist. I picked up in the hospital the other night over in Yakima uh, a Unity book, and it had a thing in there on vegetable eating and all such as that that we have to protect and take care of the body, and it went all the way back to where men were body people. And God knows we ought to take care of the body. I'm not against that, and I'm not against vegetarians. That's great if you want to 
do that. Uh, there's certainly no condemnation for me on any of those ideas. But the fact is, we're not body people. We become almost a body people in this day of everybody needing their miracle and everybody getting healed. We're body people. And bodies were not made to continue. There was so in the Old Testament, and a couple of the covenants have some body promises in it. But we're not under those covenants, and neither can we preach them, because when we were rebirthed, we became spirit people. And as spirit people, we're not under that law that the body must be protected and taken care of. Well, it is a good thing, though, to take care of the body. When God created bodies, he never had the intention of them being saved. So when Paul finally got the last word of the gospel, he said, we groan to get out of these bodies. Because we see now we're spirit beings, we're not body people. Jesus gave the first inkling of that in John 12, when he said, after I've done all these wonderful miracles for these people, they're not any of them that believe. They hadn't become spiritual beings. Their intent was to be a body person. We're not body people. When you get sick, you're not a body person. Though your whole interest turns to body, you're still not a body person. It was never God's intention that the body be that. So I believe that the body had a down motivation in it. And what we know now that when we add the other character, old blockhead, to the scene in the garden, that what he literally did was to appeal to Adam's mind through his body, through what he saw and felt. He appealed to him through the most base emotions of third dimensional knowledge. They saw that the fruit was good. They thought Satan's message was from God, for he said, hath not God said. They thought it was all godly. So the contrast is in motion. The literal contrast is now that we have Satan appealing through their bodies and planting in the mind the foundation for choice. Now he has two kinds of knowledge coming to him. He has God knowledge that will run the world. He has Satan appealing to him through the tree of illicit knowledge that won't run the world. So he's going to make a choice. Well, it's very simple. You know what he did. Because he was more of a body person and really couldn't help but be. Because he had no spirit to guide him conscience-wise. Conscience didn't come till after the fall. There was no conscience until after the fall. So he had nothing to guide him or direct him. Then why did God do such a thing as that? Well, we speculate now that that had to be, so one way or another God had to do it to have the fall, because we can't have a Savior without the fall. But the more technical thing that happened here is that this must take place in order for Adam to come to know God. Because you don't really come to know God outside of crisis. I wish I could preach some other gospel to you. I tried. I used to be a faith preacher, and I said there is no such thing as crisis. If you have faith, you won't have crisis. But that was a lie. I lied to the people because not only was I having crisis, I was hiding because it deteriorated my message for it to be known. 
But I knew those people sitting out there were having crisis and had no gospel for the crisis. They only had a gospel if a miracle removed the circumstance. Well, that isn't the way it is, is it? So I've got to come to a different understanding of what is the gospel. We want to fill this void. So what happened when Adam made his choice was that immediately the void was filled. What happened immediately when he believed what Satan said and ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil? For the first time, he had a nature. What is that nature? Sin nature. Satan's nature. Uh-oh, what happened to him? What happened to him? He got birthed. There was birth in him spirit because spirit is not created. It can only be birthed. It can only come from a deity. Well, we don't have that gospel. We don't believe all sinners running around out here have Satan's nature in them, but they do. We, in fact, are so vain in our ignorance that we'd rather talk about demon-possessed people than letting the world know that they need an exchange of natures, that that's the real problem. So what we did by third-dimensional knowledge, at least I did, I picked up casting out a devil. I went through an unbelievable period of casting out devils. I even tied people to a bed to cast the devils out. I even chased a woman down the street one time for about five blocks. She was in her nightgown, and I, <laughs> I was trying to catch her, and you know, demon-possessed people have an unbelievable physical ability. I couldn't catch her until absolutely she ran out of gas. I mean, I went through that period. I didn't know about Satan's nature. I was blaming everything on the devil. So you, I said all that to get your attention that there's a great difference between a demon-possessed person and a person with Satan nature in them. Now let's talk about how we get Satan's nature. When, when they accepted what Satan said, immediately they did something. Their acceptance of what he said, they did something. What did they do? They believed. How do you get a nature? By believing. Now, when you came into this world, you had nothing to do about being a sinner. That was God's plan. But your forefather, and in your sin nature, is an ability to believe what Satan says and be tricked by it. So, what did they do? What did Adam and Eve do? They believed what Satan said. What was the end result of that? It's simple. They got a father. God the creator was not the father of the human race. He created them in his image and likeness. But he did not birth the human race. Well, that kind of falls hard on us, doesn't it? Paul said in Acts 17 that they were all fouled up in their thinking about God being the, the father of the whole human race. He isn't. 
I used to catch that when I was in Baylor at university. That's a religious school. We began every football game with a word of prayer. And then they all went out there and started fighting. <laughs> but, but I'd listen to these prayers because I just beginning to, to see that there was something in religion that, that wasn't of Christ, but I didn't know that difference. I just saw there was a And they'd all get up there and pray, and I'd say, Lord, all your children are gathered here today. All the beer guzzlers, the gamblers were there, <laughs> uh, probably half the mafia. Everybody was there. But the, but the idea of religion was we're all the children of God. They weren't. Israel was not bona fide children of God because God didn't birth Israel. Now we call them the children of Israel, the children of God, and we call the whole world maybe the children of God. But there's a big difference in God being the creator and God being the Father. <clears throat> See? So, God is our Father in the new birth. How did we get the sin nature in us? It came by birthing. Where do we get scripture for that? Well, the most notable place, I think, is John 8, where the Jews was arguing one day over being children of Abraham, and that irritated Jesus just like I got irritated at the ball game, them saying we were all the children of God, he got tired of those Jews saying they're the children of Abraham. He said, if you were the children of Abraham, you'd do what Abraham did. Abraham believed in me, and I was before Abraham. And you know it has quite a message, but that just upset all the religious people because when you upset religious people's doctrine, you have to pick up the pieces. That's their security. So Jesus looked at him and he said, Abraham is not your father, the devil is your father. Boy, you can understand why they wanted to kill him and finally did. Nobody wants to hear that. He said, Satan is your father. You're children of Satan. Now the scriptures never veer from that and I wish it had been more clearly explained because in Christ's position would be more firmly established in the Christian church had this point been established that we were children of Satan. Because, you see, most people who are Christians don't understand the new birth. Why you must be born again. Why there must be a new father and a new nature. So Jesus said that the Jews, unconverted, were children of Satan. Now, when you read along in your Bible, you're going to come across such statements as this in the epistle. It's going to speak about us being children of the evil one, children of of the liar, children of wrath, children of disobedience, children. What are all those things we're children of? As sinners, we are children of Satan, who is the propagator. John finally said in his epistle that it was Satan who was the liar from the beginning. So the father, the nature in the sinner is Satan. And it came there because they believed. They believed this. Okay, how do we get an exchange of natures? Because you don't get changed. God does not change sin to salvation. God does not correct the sinner. 
any more than God worked on mind and body of Adam. He's not going to work on mind and body in the sinner. What he wants is that the sinner be born again. The most unbelievable statement in the Bible is John 3 and 5, 7 or somewhere in there, where Jesus says, Nicodemus, except you be born again, you can't see or enter the things of God. What is he saying when he talks about a birthing? He's saying there's got to be another father who puts another nature, another spirit, another life in you. And if you don't have it, quit looking for the things of God. If you don't get this, don't look for the things of God. Well, how do you get that exchange of fathers and how do you get that exchange of the birthing? It's simple. You believe. That's all you do is believe. How do we get the devil in us? Our forefather believed what he said. And then he ate of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. How do we get Christ in us? Acts 16, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Well, you know what? We didn't understand that. We didn't believe that. And so the church came along and said, hey, you can't just believe and be saved. You need to be baptized. And then you need to join our church. And then you need to take our catechism. And then you need to sign a covenant for tithes and offerings. And then you need to take on ministries. See? No birthing there. That didn't matter. Do all these things and you'll turn out like all the rest of us. Do something. So religion never understood the exchange of natures. It's a radical exchange. There's been an exchange from Satan to Christ because you exchange fathers. Well, when one is born again, that's why Jesus said, you must be born again by the Spirit because Christ in you is your only hope. And you must be born again. Well, that's how we all came to it. But now I want to go back to something. Satan is your nature. What is Satan's message to human beings? Go out and get drunk? No. Take some cocaine? Drive yourself into hell? Be a pornographer? Is there such a word as that? I'm always creating new ones. You have to watch me. What is he really up to? What is Satan really doing? He's trying to twist the Word of God to you. What did he do to Adam to get us in all this trouble in the first place? He quoted the, what the Lord said. Let's say he quoted scriptures. He's a good evangelist. Big young. First sermon we know he's preached. Doesn't have a lot of sense, but he twisted what God said and Adam believed him. That's where his work has always been. What was it that brought this on in the first place? It was because God did an unbelievable thing. What did God do? God said to Adam by the word when he was talking to him, he said, Adam, thou shalt not. That's not. Thou shalt not. What did God himself do? He made an impossible situation for Adam 
in contrast. He didn't say, Adam, I love you, and I hope you don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He didn't say that. You know what he said? Thou shalt not. You know what happened the moment God laid that law down? It would be impossible for man to keep it. Well, what do we need from the devil right now? We need to twist it just a little bit. How are we going to do that? Well, this is what I'm going to say, the devil said. I'm going to tell them, surely God didn't mean that exactly like he said it. So let me give you the 20th century translation. Let me give you the Lucifer translation of that. Surely God didn't mean what he said. So now we're tricked by a liar into trying to keep a law that we cannot keep which God did not intend that we keep within ourselves. What did he want Adam to do? To trust him. Just trust him. Leave that tree alone. Trust me. Because finally he'll get over the tree of life and we'll all be in glory land. But the law was given by God and Satan tricked them into trying to keep the law by twisting the scriptures. Well, what happened from then on? It's like this. A law was going to be kept. So a liaison, a camaraderie, a work of Satan began to take place in the human mind. We believe we can keep God's law. We believe we can do what he said. Five different dispensations over 4,000 years in the Old Testament was God saying, okay, you believe you can do it? Do it. Five different ways God said try to do it. Go ahead, try. If you can do it, I'll save you. All five ways they failed because of Satan's tricks. They thought they could keep the law. But look what happened over those centuries, 4,000 years. All of a sudden, because of Satan lying to the believer from within that you can do it, you can be good, you're really not bad. Sure, you got drunk last night and ran over and killed somebody, but you're not a bad person. You got enough money, they'll get you out of jail. You're not really bad. Yeah, I take a little cocaine, but I'm no different than those religious people down there at the church house. You're lied to. Yeah, I know I love my wife, but don't hurt me to mess around on her because everybody else is doing it. You're lied to. See, he's a liar. It's nature. What do you think's going on all the time? Well, I'm keeping the law. I'm as good as anybody else. I'm as righteous as anybody else. I'm no worse than anybody else. I'm doing as good as all those religious people. In fact, right now, the world's having a heyday over preachers. Any preacher gets in trouble nowadays is on the front page. And the world's saying, hey, I've always said I was good as that preacher. <laughs> they probably were. My wife said, don't ever tell anybody you're a preacher, so we stop saying that. <laughs> yeah, so that's my translation. That's <laughs> Litzman, not Lucifer. That's Litzman. Now, what happened with all the line going on in us? And you need to go into your Bible and see how many times Jesus and Paul called the devil a liar. Why? Because he lied to us over the law. We tried to keep a law. We tried to do what was right. 
You know what he did? This is his lie. Be good. Be good and don't do evil. And then you'll be all right with God. Well, God couldn't care less about that. That's the forbidden knowledge. That's the knowledge that got us all into trouble. God's not interested in you being good, and he doesn't want you to stop evil. As it said, quit trying to stop evil on your own part. Quit trying to be good on your own part. You're missing God. That's where the devil deceives. God doesn't want you good, and he don't want you to stop doing evil. He wants Christ to be your life. He wants a whole different life there. He doesn't want you in that third dimension where I think I can do it. No, he wants you to say, I can do nothing aside from Christ. Well, what happened? Here it is. Satan telling the mind constantly, you can do it. You can be good. You can keep the law. We're lying just a little bit. We're, we're drunk as a dog, but we're as good as all the rest of church people. We're about to lose our mind over crack, but we're better than those preachers on television. You're lied to. See, that's the lie. What happens in the mind after a period of time? This lie begins to take deep roots. There it is. You've got a deep root in your mind. I can do it. I can keep that law. Forget all about my nature. I can keep the law. So look what happens. Sad to say I'm going to go over time just a little bit. Are you with me? Thank God for George, Frank, and Bob. Man, I dearly love. You get saved. You're born again. What happens to you? New nature. You believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and instantly when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, there was birthed in you the nature of God, partakers of divine nature. The life you now have is Christ, not like him, it is Christ. One life, Christ in you, your hope of glory. You've been born again. Well, I just got saved. Praise God, this is great, a new world. Next two or three days. Well, Brother Johnny, I don't know whether I can live it or not. I tell you, you think I really got saved the other night? You think I'm really born again? Because I tell you, I've had some bad thoughts. I tell you, I even cussed a little the other day and fussed at my wife. I don't really know, did I really get it? And Brother Johnny says, now, Brother, I tell you what you need to do. You're going through what all of us did. What you need to do is read your Bible every day. You need to pray every day. You need to witness when you get a chance, and you don't want to miss a church service. Now, can you think of anything wrong with one of those things? I mean, every one of them just fine. I believe in every one of them. But what we do? We told that new convert, you need to do this, and when you do that and get involved in the church and get your time taken up by our religion and start giving you money, that's important too, then you'll get like all the rest of us. You won't have to worry about cussing and beating on your wife and all these things you've done. You just grow into religion like all the rest of us. Oh, the new convert said, that's good. That's just what I need to do. It clicks with him. I mean, it clicks with him right off. That's just what I need to do. You know what happened to him? All of a sudden, religion came along. 
and extended that deep root of the law that Satan had put in him. Be good. Don't do evil. And now he's found another comfortable thing. But he found it this time in the church house. Same thing. So he begins to do all these things. Well, sure enough, he goes with non-cussing people enough, and he quits cussing. He gets in enough marriage seminars, and he quits beating his wife. Probably don't love her anymore, but he don't beat her. He starts giving money, and sure enough, the business grows. Marvelous thing about God. He'll take money from bootleggers, gamblers, the mafia, anybody, and he'll bless them for giving because that has nothing to do with spirit. And he starts growing like all the rest of us. He's like us. But you know what happens? Every new teacher, every new preacher, every new program in the church taps another one of those leaders off that root. Well, it didn't long before if he misses a Sunday and going to Sunday school, he explodes. He feels so guilty. Not only is he not going to get his pen for 30 years not missing a Sunday, <laughs> but he's going to walk around guilt all week. Boy, we have lots of people in our fellowship coming to that because they don't go to church anymore. They don't want to hear the illicit gospel anymore. So they stay home. They don't watch television. That's worse. So they're stuck with we got people all over this country. I've got little groups up in Northern California in the mountains that have no church to go to, and it's pitiful to read their letters. But I'm hearing them grow stronger. He that is in is greater than they that are against us. Well, that's so revolutionary. But they're determined not to let that deep root take hold anymore. Because that's all the devil ever did to them, make them do something. To be good. He lied to them. And so now they've gotten in religion, and it's saying the very same thing. See, it's saying the very same thing. If you don't make it to church every Sunday, if you don't pay your tithes and offerings, if you, and I'm not against going to church, I like you here, I like you giving money, but that has nothing to do with who you are. You've been rebirthed. You're God's child. You have God's nature in you. Sooner or later, somebody has to tell you that nature will take hold if you give it a mind that's free, if you'll open up your mind and take authority over that deep root that was put in you by Satan that you have to do something to be good. So you see what happens? It isn't very long until this new convert, just like all the rest of us. Well, I was reading along in the scripture, kids, and the Bible said you better not do that, and bless God, if you do it, you'll go to hell. Let's really lay the law down to them. Let's not take into consideration those kids may be born again and tell them who they are by the new nature in them. And give that nature a chance to overwhelm that deep root of the law that was put in them by Satan. Let's take our teenagers and tell them they're all going to go to hell if they don't straighten up. But if they've been born again, it takes a little more time, a little more painful, because you've got to study some. You've got to hear what the Spirit is saying. You've got to get into the Word. You've got to forget yourself and try to find what it is God may be saying to the human race by Christ in us, not by getting a hold of Jesus somewhere. It takes a little time and patience, and I find preachers don't want to take it. 
that what you found? They don't want to take it. That's why preachers won't sit with me through these sessions. They don't want to hear what the Spirit is saying because their security is the little thing they put together in a neat package. So the rest of the world going to hell. If our kids don't straighten out, if our marriages don't, we're spending more time on marriage seminars that if those teachers and preachers would take time to hear what Paul says, they'd have an answer to humanity. But we're outwardly trying to straighten people out. And I'll tell you why. Because if you get a hold of Christ in you, you're not going to need the doctrine, the program, the preacher, or the building anymore. And if you go to one of them, it'll be because you love God, not because you need them. See? And so that's devastating to religion. Religion can't operate without your guilt. If you don't feel bad about Mission Church, they can't pay the bills down there because it's you coming to church and giving that's going to make the bills pay. Boy, when I was a pastor, I could spot guilt sitting in my congregation. There's some old boy that hadn't been there in six months. I'd see him sitting back there, and I'd make a special appeal in my offering. Because nine times out of ten, I knew what he'd do. I knew he really loved God. He'd been caught in a trap. Nobody had told him who he was, and I wasn't about to. I was going to tap that guilt, and sure enough, when we counted the offering, his check was ten times bigger. You know what he did? He walked out of that building saying, I'm sure glad they had a need here. I could meet that need. I could really bless my church. His guilt's removed temporarily. He's still the same old codger, buffaloed by Satan. But I got money out of him. That's the way we run the church. That's the way I stayed on television. So you heap the law so that it taps that deep root inside of people. Now, what are we doing in the Christ life? Where are we, George? Is there any such thing as time? It's a two-hour case. Oh. Where are we? Where are we the Christ life? We're trying to deal with that deep root of the law. It's got a hold of us. It's in every one of us. Every once in a while, I feel it in me, and I hate it. I hate it. I hate that it's there, and yet I can't do anything about it but learn of Christ. So the, the thing that really happens to a believer is that the more he sees Christ in him as his life, the less importance he places on the keeping of a law. You see... If you came here today saying, well, I've got to go to church. It's Sunday and I need to go somewhere and I'll even go over to George's chapel. If that's the way it is, but because I need to go to church. If you came here today out of need, then you're still letting that deep root wiggle in you. Now, I like it because you're here. Not rebuking you because you're here. But you know why we should come here? Because we love him. I love the Jesus in me, and he loves to get with other Christ that are in other human beings. We love that fellowship. It's John saying, our fellowship is with the Father and his dear Son, not with one another. My fellowship is with the Jesus in him. The Jesus in me loves the Jesus in him so much that we have instant camaraderie. But the deep root of the law separates me from the Jesus in him because where there's law, there's no faith, there's no God knowledge.
you still operated off the other knowledge. Well, what we all wrestle with at this point is all of the scriptures that we can't tie together because they're deep roots of the law in us. So what happens to this new convert along the way is that after he's been in the work of the Lord for a little while, he's gotten wounded. Sister Susie rebuked him, or he got up and testified, and the pastor came to him and said, don't say it like that. Or he felt really led of God to do something, and he got up and promoted it, and nobody else felt led. Or he got on a committee, and the committee ignored him or made him do all the work. You know, he got caught in religion. I mean, it's easy to get caught in those things. That's where you have to really be full of love if you start to do something for God. I mean, he really felt led to do something for God. And so the more and more he got involved in doing something for God, the more a thing came to him. That's God, if these people are really saved, they ought to be doing something. If they're really where they ought to be with God, they ought to see this differently. I tell you, if we really preach the truth to these kids, they'd all straighten out. They're going to go to hell if we don't straighten them out. You know what happened to him? All of a sudden, the thou shalt not gospel took a hold of him. And he became blinded. What did he become blind to? Well, this deep root of the law was in him so much that in his mind, he began to find every verse of scripture that could make us do something to straighten out the problem. Now, that's not all bad. I've been in a lot of situations where I had scripture that caused me to want to do something to straighten out the problem. But this brother's like the rest of us. He's got a thou shalt not working. Well, you know what's going to happen to him sooner or later. The thou shalt not is going to narrow down his fellowship. You mean you don't see that like I do, brother? Okay. I really love you, brother. But we don't fellowship anymore. You go your way and I'll go mine. So what he does, but thou shalt not, he creates a doctrine. A doctrine. You know what doctrine is? Doctrine is a man-made selection of scriptures. That's the simplest way to put it. I know Joseph Smith says he got it from God. Mary Baker Eddy says she got it from God. We Pentecostals said we got it from God. The Baptists said they got it from God. But anytime something from God goes through man, it comes out as polluted as man is. I mean, the clean water goes in, but it don't come out any cleaner than what the pipe is on the other end. So it's man's doctrine. I'm so glad John straightened us out on doctrine. He finally said our doctrine is Christ. It's not what scriptures we pluck, it's a person. Well, I finally got oriented to that, so now Christ in me is my doctrine and not what you say about him. So finally, he becomes doctrinated or denominationalized. What is that? Denominationalized says, if you believe it like I believe it, you're one of us. If you don't, you're not one of us. So the deep root of the law is working. 
What are we going to do to get free of this? Because you see the picture now. How are we going to get free of the deep root of the law that's in all of us? I know psychologically there are different percentages of people. There's a percentage of people that's got to have a deep root of the law. I used to wonder why anybody would go to a Church of Christ church that understood the Bible. Any Church of Christ people, I don't mean to speak against you here. But the Church of Christ say, if you don't come to our church, believe like we believe, be baptized by our preacher and our baptistry, you are not saved. <clears throat> now, they don't say that out loud, but that's exactly what they believe. That's what the Church of Christ believes. How could anybody come to that point to where that must be done like that for you to be a Christian? Well, to be honest, we're all kind of like that. There is a percentage of people that must have that security. They've got to have the security of somebody saying, you did it our way, that solves it. You're saved. You don't have to worry about it anymore as long as you stick with us. It's like a little woman told me one time. She said, I'm so glad to be coming to this church because I get Bible teaching. She said, I don't even read the Bible for myself. I depend on you to teach me. Oh, I said, lady, you better watch out. I'll mislead you. You see, there's a percentage of people that must have somebody tell them what to do. There's another percentage of people who live off of emotions. There are churches that are based on that. There are another percentage of people that must have God working body-wise in order for God to be God. There's that percentage of people. But what I want to tell you now, and I'll finish here in a minute on this, there's a percentage of people in our world today that sense this deep root of the law in them. We're going to make a correction. That percentage is going to make a correction. We're not going to solve every verse of scripture you got. But we're not going to start with the law. We're going to start with a new birth. We're going to start with a new nature. And we're going to tell every man you've got that nature in you. And when your mind gets fixed that that's the nature you are, it's going to change your way of living. So it's going to be important where you go to church, what gospel you listen to, what you put into your mind. Because if you still put the gospel of doing good and not doing evil in your mind, you're going to tap that deep root of the law that's in you. And once you do it, you nullify Christ. You see, after a period of time, Christ is nullified in this believer. What is it? Galatians 2, Christ is of no avail. You that are under the law, you are living as if there were no Christ in you. So Christ is of no avail. You might as well have not been saved. Paul said, you, you Galatians are living like all the rest of the Gentiles, unsaved people. said, I can't tell any difference between you. You're living by the same law. Oh, you go to church and say, I've got to go to church to find God. The sinner's out there saying, well, I'm going to quit doing bad and I'll find God. Paul said, there's no difference between you. You're both under the law. So what are we going to do? We've got to start at some point. Where will we start? We'll start with the birthing. That's what Jesus said. Except a man be born again, he can't see the things of God. If all you see is law, if all you see is the commandments, if all you see is, well, you better do this or you won't work it out, you're in the wrong direction. You're not seeing the things of God. You're seeing what is triggered in us by Satan. I'm seeing the law. The Bible said if you do that, you'd get in trouble, and sure enough, we did. But that's not the life we're to live. That's not Christ alive. If you go by the law, sooner or later, you shut Christ out. There is no Christ operating in you. 
So you need to go to church. You need to get with believers. You need to sing and shout and holler and get a miracle to make God God because you're separated from him by the law. So the root is deep in us. What are we doing here today? We're snatching at that root. You just being in this room, you're snatching at it. You're going to argue and fuss maybe within yourself. Well, is this really right? Should I be there? Should I listen to all this? You're snatching at that root. It's not easy. I'm going to tell you, it's not easy to pull out of you. But if you ever fall in love with the Christ in you and never forget him, that root begins to lessen its hold. And what happens to the mind? It is renewed. It is renewed. The salvation of the soul is the renewal of the mind. So that's where we're headed. That's what God wants to do. That's really what he's saying today. And I've been a little longer in this session, but uh, it just seems I couldn't get it all in. In our next session, I'm going to tell you how this comes about by the scriptures. So that's all we'll do for right now. It's no longer I that live in, but Christ that liveth in me. It's no longer I that live in, but Christ that liveth in me. Part two from the Deep Root of the Law is what we've just been listening to with Warren Litzman, part of the foundational studies of the In Christ message. We hope you've enjoyed this. We'd like to invite you to go to our website, christ-life.org. That's where our website is and where you can read all about us, and you can go to that bookstore and have some of this material of your very own in your home. Books, videos, audio teachings, all from Warren Litzman that he left behind. Check it out, christ-life.org. We love being with you each and every week, and we appreciate Robbie Litzman so very much for allowing us to go into the archives every week to bring you these messages. want to thank Valerie Hill, who does our Twitter account. Tammy Laycock does our weekly podcast reports. And this program is produced weekly by Teresa Ferraro from the Christ Life Fellowship. Until next time, I'm Brad Wilson, loving the Christ life.